Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's really good to be back. I haven't, let's tell them, I haven't been here since December 27th. Um, and if you've been following on Facebook, I try to keep you updated with things and just I'll give you a little up update right now. I did have COVID. It went through almost my entire family. And um, for me, it was um, it was just I've had worse flus. So it didn't I had achy body often on temperature. Ibuprofen took care of the aches. And so I got good night's sleep. So I had no chest pain, no breathing, nothing. So for me, it was a very mild thing. Uh, thank God. But then finally, after it passed through uh, three, four of us, and then to me, then my wife got it last. And uh, she's the one that hit hard. And it was Wednesday morning, and I think I've gone through enough emotions of it now that I can say it and not get emotional. But Wednesday morning, um, it, was, it was getting pretty intense uh, where um, she wasn't making sense. You'd ask her her name and her age, and well, she didn't want to give her age, but you'd ask her name. <laughs> And, uh, and she'd answer those questions, and then she'd make very off-the-wall, random statements. I mean, I almost wanted to ask her questions like, have you ever had a boyfriend while we're married and stuff like that? And just, I'm joking. I'm a jokester. I'm a jokester, okay? Um, <clears throat> and these random statements, and I got one. I got a Kelly who helps in her AV room. She's a nurse. I got her on the phone, and I direct hotline to her, and I'm telling her, what do I do? What do I do? And... Um, and so she's giving me uh, the what to do because she's worked in the COVID surge units. And, and uh, so then finally we're, and Olivia's temperature was 104.9. So it was up there. And, uh, and then she, Kelly asked me, how's her breathing? I said, how's your breathing? You never ask the patient how their breathing is. Oh, she's fine. She would have said, find anything. But she was breathing like, <sighs> and then Dylan, who's with he says, dad, she's not breathing right. She's not breathing. So we finally make the decision. We got to we got to take her to the hospital. And by the time we're we're helping with the car, by the time I got near the car, she, she couldn't even stand up. She had no energy. She had no strength. So we got her in the car. And we got to Kaiser and got her in there. And um, they told us that she was breathing at sixty three percent, which is pretty dangerous. And but then the nurse came back because you can't go in. And she said it's amazing what some oxygen will do for a person. It helps them because she needed that oxygen pumped into her lungs. And so she's been in there since Wednesday morning, and um, we text back and forth, and as of yesterday, she texted me yesterday morning, and she said that, uh, and I put this last night, because I wanted to make sure she was stable on this, and she still was. She was breathing at 97%, which is fantastic. You know, praise the Lord. And, and so uh, it'll just be a little bit more time. She'll come home with oxygen, and um, you know we're just thankful that things are, are getting better. Um, I have been without a fever for 10, 11 days. I'm past it. I do have a tickle in my throat, so don't panic, okay? It's just a tickle from, you know, from the end of it, but it's just scratchy in there, and that's all that is. And I, I love you guys. So I'm always like to be honest with you. I'm also on a medication that I have to take, not for COVID, not for anything, but for the rest of my life I have to take it. And it, one of the side effects is a stuffy nose and a scratchy throat. So I may be like this forever. And I won't know if I have a cold or if I just have the medication. So it's just the way it is. But I'd rather do that than what they wanted to do to me. Any, any, any men, amens out there having to go through stuff like that? So praise the Lord. 
So, um, <clears throat> so here we are today. I was going to start this series last week, and thank God we have great young ministers that can carry the weight and do the job. And, and, and um, I was I was watching online, and I always and then I text in between services, giving them and any advice I thought whatsoever. And of course, I don't know if they listen to me, but uh, but I do. So today we're going to talk on a heart for the hurting. But you know, when it comes to, uh, I want to begin by saying this to give an understanding because the, the two-week series is called The Next Season. And uh, whenever a season ends in sports, and even if your team wins the title, if you say the Lake, they won the title this last year, and your Dodgers won the title, uh, sports teams, no matter if they finish first or finish last, they're always looking to improve their roster, are they not? Because everybody else wants to improve their roster and everybody else wants to get you, even if you're at the top. So, you know, they make changes, they do certain things to hopefully fill spots or uh, fix weaknesses within the defensive or offensive uh, lineup <clears throat> to get ready for one thing, and that's the next season. And so, as a staff, we were all in discussion and quizzed and <clears throat> What does the next season hold? You know, and next season by meaning that it's year 2021. And so uh, what, what, they, what we all came to the conclusion of, and it's great when you have a group of people coming to a conclusion, you know, we know that our, our mission statement is love, care, serve. We're to love God. That's primary. If we don't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, nothing else really works. Any amens on that? In fact, John, a follower of Christ, who is a pretty angry guy, remember he wanted to call fire down from heaven on people? Then later on, he, he becomes the love disciple. But he makes some pretty impressive statements, and they're very penetrating when he says, look, if you don't love somebody that you can see, you can't possibly love God who you can't see. And that's a real important statement that we need to remember because there's so much hate going around in the world right now, right? And we as Christians need to be the trendsetters to live out this as, and don't say things like, well, I, I just despise them. Well, what's the difference between that and hate? You know, I don't like them. Well, what's the difference? We're to love everybody. We're to love everybody. So we're to love God. And then we're to, we, we care for each other. Now, we haven't been able to do that very much this last year because of COVID. Our, our life groups, small groups, they basically came to a halt because of everything. We're hoping to bring this all back in increments um, this year. But we're to care for each other. And... Um, and by the way, thank you. I, I felt so much love, so much care. I, I'm not a person who walks in any shame. I refuse to. When my wife got sick on the way to the hospital, I put on Facebook, I want everybody praying. And I was going to enlist everybody and their third cousin to be praying for my wife. Never be ashamed to post something when you need prayer for something. Because you know what? You're, you're not allowing the body of Christ to work in its greatest capacity. So you make sure you do things like that. And then, you know, we're to serve other people. And um, we've been trying, and we've been doing a pretty good job this last year of serving other people, but that's what we're called to do. And so we decided two points of emphasis within the mission statement that doesn't change. And the two points of emphasis that we're going to have this year are, the first one is a heart for the hurting, and that's this morning. And the second one will be next week, and that is a place to belong. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Mark chapter 6. There's about, I don't know, 10, 11 verses of this certain Jesus story. I'm going to take, and I'm going to take half this week, and I'm going to talk about a heart for the hurting. The other half next week, and I'm going to talk about a place to belong. And uh, I'm going to give you two points today. And in point two, I'm going to give you two sub-bullet points, and let's see it all works out. You guys ready for this one? Okay, good. <clears throat> so here we go. Let's go to Mark chapter 6, if you would, and uh, verse 30. And I'm going to read 30 through 34 
uh, if you have your Bible, if you're following on screen. It says this. <laughs> the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported him all that they had done and taught. So they've been sent out, and now they're coming back to give report. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. That's always a, not a, that's a pretty good thing, is it not? For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Have you ever been so busy you can't even eat? Okay, most of you find time to eat. Okay, I got it. Um, 32. They went away in the, in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus, here's our key verse for today. When Jesus went ashore, we're going to read this now and then two more times later. He saw the lar a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Let's go ahead and pray. You know, Lord, we, um, we do, we are invested and empowered with the Spirit of God. You live in us. And so a natural outgrowth of that is that we do have a, a transformed heart. And we have a heart for hurting people. Something that can be easily squelched, squashed, but it can also be cultivated. And I pray, Lord, that we examine our hearts today and see how did you have and how did you maintain this heart for hurting people, Jesus, because you did, and so should we. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen. turn your neighbor and say, this one's for you. Okay, everybody do that, okay? I just said, go do that, okay? Okay, the first thing I want to tell you today, number one, is this, that Jesus saw. Jesus saw. Now, let's go back to verse 34, and it says this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Notice he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like, a sh like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, <clears throat> there's this moment in time in Jesus' life where he gets invited to a, a dinner at a man's home. It's in Luke chapter 7. At a man's home by the name of Simon uh, the Pharisee. And while Jesus is there, um, they're eating, and a woman comes bursting in. She breaks protocol with what is normal. And she comes in, she begins to cry tears over his feet. I mean, she's really wetting those feet. So you know she's carrying a lot of pain in her life. Now, the way they would eat back then is they would be in a U-shape, and they would lean forward. They're laying down is how they'd eat, instant chairs. They'd have a cushion, and they'd lay on the cushion, and their feet would extend out away from the table, and they'd reach with their right hand, and that's how they would eat. The woman bursts in. She begins to cry at Jesus' feet, and she takes her hair, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. <clears throat> she takes this alabaster bile of perfume, which is like a savings account for a person back then, where it's worth a lot of money, and she pours some over his feet to anoint him. It's like a, it's a perfume. Well, Simon the Pharisee, he sees that, and it says that he says to himself. He doesn't say it to others, he says it to himself. So it's kind of like a whisper to himself, and he says this. Speaking of Jesus, he says, If this man were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. 
See, the woman's a prostitute. And Simon the Pharisee, who's like a pastor in that day, but they were pretty corrupt. They didn't care about people. And there are pastors like that, but most pastors are, are really good. But this guy, he looks at her and he says, if, if he knew she was a sinner. Now, when he says sinner, he's talking about a sinner trade. There were certain occupations that they looked at as sinner trades, and you cut those people off. You know what, Jesus? You know what he does in that moment? Because he knows exactly what Simon the Pharisee has said. He knows what he's, he's thinking because Jesus is God. And so he says, Simon, he says, I have a question for you. And Simon says, go ahead. And Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, when Jesus says, do you see this woman, I think it's a loaded question. I don't think it's just like, well, do you see her? I don't think it's like that. I think it's, do you really see this woman? Do you see the pain in her heart? Do you see the guilt that she carries? Do you see the remorse for the life that she's lived? Can you see that this is not the life that she ever mapped out, planned out, or desired for her life? Do you really see this woman, Simon, or is she just another sinner to you to be cut off and excommunicated? Because she doesn't live up to whatever standard that you think should be lived up to. Do you really see this woman? You see, when Jesus looked around and he says, and he saw the crowd, he saw them. And it says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He really saw the need in their life. You know, this idea of um, seeing, you know, um, and seeing, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guy, and as, as I shared, I'm a husband. And how many, I'll ask any wives in here, how many of you wives, your husband can't find things like me? Anybody like that? Okay, I just can't find stuff. And it really bothers me, okay? But it doesn't bother me that I can't find it. It bothers me that I have to do what? I gotta ask my wife. I really don't like that at all. And so I, 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 I honestly, after almost 40 years of marriage, I dread it. Because here's the way the conversation goes. I can almost play it verbatim. <laughs> Olivia, I can't find this certain thing. And her first line is, did you look? Oh, no, I just walked right by. I didn't look at all. I'm like, oh, to the moon, baby. <laughs> and, then, and then if it's something that's like in the refrigerator or in the pantry, that, that's, I go, I can't find this certain thing. And then she goes, then she goes, did you move things around? Oh, no, I just opened it up there and shut it that way. That's all, that's all I did. And then finally I get her to come and look and look for it. Now, I'm hoping when she comes to look for it, that she will not find it right away. I really am. I'm hoping and praying, please, God, do, let her take at least 20 to 30 seconds to find this thing, and then I can say, did you look? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, because she'll never help me again. But then she comes up, and what does she do? Wives, what do you do? It's right here. <laughs> and it's like, oh... What is it about me or some of you men in here that we can look for some, and we just don't see it? It's just not there. Jesus saw, and he saw people, and he saw beneath the surface of people, and he saw the hurting people all around him. I read this interesting thing recently. It says this, and this is not news to anyone here. 
It said this article, but the way it mapped it out was really cool. It said, um, we live in a world of overstimulation. Would you agree? I mean, we've got so much coming at us that we have this, this thing called uh, a continuous partial attention. And we live in this world that, you know, we have the fear of missing out. Do we not? I mean, some of you, while I'm preaching, if your phone buzzes, what's your temptation? You want to answer, you want to look at you, what's going on, right? Let me tell you what's going on. This. But we have this fear of missing out. And so what happens in the article, they said this. We fear of missing out on everything, therefore we miss everything, especially the most important things. <clears throat> See, if I took a tennis ball, and I'll take you, sir, and I threw it at you, you could catch one tennis ball, right? Praise God, thank you for saying yes. <laughs> if I took 10 tennis balls, and I threw one, you'd catch it, waited, threw two, you'd catch it, all the way, if I staggered it, you'd catch them all. But if I took all those tennis balls in one batch and I just threw them at you, could you catch them all? Please say no. <laughs> he said yes. <laughs> you couldn't. You could at best catch one for sure if you focused on it, maybe two. But eight to nine of them you'd never catch because they're all coming at you at one time. Well, in this article, it made this idea that this is our problem. There's so much coming at us and so much that we don't want to miss that we miss everything. And we miss the most important things. Sociologists have a term for this now, and it's called absent presence. Haven't you ever talked to someone or been the person? You're talking to them, but they're not there. Their minds... That was a loud yes. God bless you. Okay. I mean, you're speaking with them, but they're just not there their mind is somewhere else and that's what we're dealing with in society right now we're so distracted Jesus it says of him when he got there and mind you Jesus is surrounded by a mob of people constantly is he not it's all over the place it's all the time and yet he saw and he saw the people and he saw the need around him I want you to uh, keep your finger in Mark here 6 and turn to Mark chapter 8 if you would. I want to read a few verses here of another Jesus story and I want to pull something out here if I could. Mark chapter 8 verse 22 to 25 and it says this. <coughs> and they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. So here comes this blind man. They're bringing him. Jesus, please heal him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes, that's kind of weird, isn't it? But um, one of the cool things about that is, is that Jesus never healed the same way twice. Did he not? You know why he doesn't heal the same way twice? Because if he healed only one way, we would glorify that and make that the system. Any amens? And so therefore, you see this movement of how Jesus does different things different ways so we don't get locked into one, one way. And laying is, and by the way, they say the, uh, I think back in that day, that one of the superstitions, Jesus didn't believe in that, is that the eldest son's spit had healing powers, if I remember right. The, don't quote me on that, but I think that's correct. 
And laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Yes, man, do you see anything? Now watch what the man says. And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Well, that's interesting. I see now, but what I see, these men walking, but they just look like trees. And then verse 25 says, then again, <coughs> he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. Now that's fascinating, the way it worked in a two-part there, and some healings are progressive, are they not? But think about this, because I never looked at it this way before, and I was reading up on it. That's an interesting thought on it. If you think about this, think it this way. That Jesus, when he first lays hands on the man, he does physically heal his eyes. The man can see. But he sees people like trees. In other words, this is where you and I get stuck at. See, trees are resources to be used for gain, are they not? And we can get stuck in a mindset that we only look at people as resources for our life. What can I use them for? How can they help me? And we've got to be careful with stuff like that. But then Jesus lays his hands on him again and, and prays. And now the man can see. He says, oh, I see them now clearly. And this, this idea that I read was that the first part, he heals his eyes physically. But the second part, he heals the guy's soul, his mind. To interpret the data that's coming at him. He can actually understand that these are people now that he's seen, not trees. He had to interpret the data, and he heals the soul of the man, the brain, the thinking process. You know, when you and I came to Christ, if you've come to Christ, doesn't he have to heal our soul? Doesn't the Spirit, when he comes in us, doesn't he change the way we look at things? He changes the, our viewpoint and the, the way we process information. Because that's what he did for the man. See, for us to have a heart for the hurting, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to keep moving inside of our hearts. This case takes relationship with Jesus. So that we see people as what they really are and we have a heart for those people. But it doesn't end there. After Jesus saw, the second point is this, then Jesus felt. Now notice in verse 34 back in Mark 6 what it says. I'm going to read the same verse again. It says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, he sees and then he feels. And I would venture to say that feeling follows seeing. Question, we just read it. What did Jesus feel? Louder? Compassion, that's right. You know, the word compassion there, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It means the yearning of the bowels. And the bowels are considered the innermost part of a person in that day. So when Jesus sees, he starts feeling from his innermost part. He's feeling. I got a couple things I got to say that are not in my notes. <coughs> um. Heart for the hurting. Have you ever noticed that you all have far more compassion for a person who's going through something 
when you yourself have been through that? Has anybody ever noticed that? I had compassion for people. I'd see all the Facebook posts. I'd get the messages to me to pray for people who had loved ones in the hospital, intubated or whatever. I had compassion. But I really have compassion now. Because when it hit my house, I know what they felt. I know what they felt. Especially when you have the doctor call you and they give you the possible good stuff and then they tell you what you better brace for just in case. And when you've gone through it, now you have a little bit of insight into what they've gone through. And I think that's a very important thing in life, is it not? Because that softens our hearts. That's one thought, Madam. Let me give you another thought, completely contrary to this. I was thinking about this. <coughs> you know that we live in this world now, there's so many non-biblical belief systems out there, right? And you need to study your Bible to get a biblical worldview or else you're going to fall for anything. Like Ephesians says, you're going to be tossed to and throw like the wind and the waves and you don't want that. You want solid foundation. And so you have these modern day and, and you know, Atheists who say science is everything, there's no such thing as God, and you know, we're just a matter of chemicals created by the universe. And there was a debate years back with again with Christopher Hitchens, and he was an atheist, he passed away a few years back. And they asked him, you know, what is what is what is love? How do you explain love? That's a feeling, right? And he said it's just chemicals. And of course, the debater was against him was, went after that one. And I'm thinking, chemicals? That's it? You just think it's chemicals? When you first fell in love with that person that you love, that was just chemicals? When I felt for my wife in the hospital and things I was feeling, that was just chemicals? It's not just chemicals. God put a soul in us. God put these feelings in us. And it's not just chemicals. There's something that God has placed of himself in us that allows us to feel. Allows us to feel compassion. Allows us to feel love. Because if it's just chemicals then we could just, then we don't know when it's going to turn off and I don't love you anymore, Olivia, and I'll just move on to the next. No, he put these things in us. Jesus felt, and he's God in the flesh, and there's feelings that he's placed in every one of us here. Now let me talk to you about Jesus' feeling. Because one day, Jesus is walking around, and there's another, it's, it's another day, and there's a massive crowd around him, like normal, and there's a woman, and this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why her bleeding is such a bad thing, but just know that she couldn't come into a church, and she couldn't be around her family anymore. She couldn't be around anyone because she's unclean. So it's really bad. 
And as he's going by in this big old crowd, she thinks to herself, if I just what? If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. And uh, shim, somehow she shimmies through the crowd, sneaks in there and touches the hem of his garment, back to it. Jesus, surrounded by a mob, he's walking, he stops. And he says this, he goes, someone touched me. Well, in one of the Gospels, one of the disciples says, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. They're all over the place. He goes, no. Someone has touched me, for I felt healing power flow out of me. He felt it. In the middle of a crowd, in the middle of all these things, going on, he felt this woman's touch of the hem of his garment. He had that kind of sensitivity in his life that he could feel things like that. I mean, that's the kind of sensitivity we want. Do we not? Do we have such a heart for hurting people? You know, I, I got this, this, I was thinking about this story and I, and I thought, it's just, it's just like Jesus, but I gotta, let me back up and let me ask a question. You know, the end of the story where they, they're coming away to take a little break, Right? And taking a break is a good thing. You should take a vacation every year. Every week you should take your one day a week <coughs> Sabbath rest. That's biblical. That's healthy. Everyone should do it. And so they're coming away. Why are they coming away? Because they have been sent out two by two to do ministry. And they've been really, really busy. So much so that we remember it said they didn't even have time to eat. Remember that statement? So they're busy and they're tired. And now we're going to Club Med Galilee and we're going to have a good time. The problem is that when they get there, who's already there? The crowd. They saw where they were going, and they ran on the shore, and they got there ahead of them. And so they get there. Now they got to minister to these people. I, but here's my thought, and I thought, wow, why? Jesus, you know all things. You know the disciples have been ministering. You know they're tired. You tell them, let's go on a, a club med break. Let's go to a secluded place. Let's really, but you know all things. You know the crowd's going to be there. Why does Jesus set it up this way? Why does he do this knowing what's coming? And I had to think about that and think about that. <laughs> yeah, why would you do this, Jesus? I'm going to give you two reasons why. Two bullet points you notes. And the first one is a heart for the hurting is a culture. It's not a column. Let me tell you what I mean. <laughs> and here's why I think Jesus did it. It's easy to turn our Christianity, our relationship with God, uh, a heart for hurting people into just a column in our life like it's in the ledger, like this is what I do. Operation Christmas Child, oh, this is what I do now and that's all I do for the year. Oh, uh, this right here, I'll volunteer for that and that's it, I'm done with that for the year and then it's easy to make it into a column, is it not? And they could have said, no, this is a column, send them away, we don't want it. And by the way, they do try to send them away but not Jesus did. He says, but no, Jesus is teaching them, look, Helping hurting people, it's not a column that you just put aside when you feel like it. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture in your life. And that's what the disciples are finding out that day. This is going to be par for the course of a person who has a heart for the hurting. But the second bullet point is this. It's a command more than a feeling. Well, Jim, didn't you say Jesus felt? Yes. But can't you numb your own feelings? Can't you emotionally talk yourself out of helping other people? And so you got to look at more as a command. I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And neighbor means those who are near, anybody near. 
Now, <clears throat> question. You're the disciples, and you're tired, and you're in the boat, and then you see the crowd there at your club med vacation spot. Do you feel like ministering to them? Do you? There's no way. I've had this happen so many times in my life. Uh, I'll share one today. But it's happened so many times. Where, I'll just tell the story of one of them. I remember was, this one was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago maybe, 11 years ago. We had lived in our house 10 years and uh, that house was a gut job and I gutted everything and redid it and I told Olivia in 10 years I'll give you a new kitchen. 10 years passed that fast. So I was putting in a new kitchen. And on Saturday night, preaching the next day, <coughs> I'm tiling the, the floors and I enjoy tiling. And the call comes in about four or five in the afternoon. Somehow somebody got a hold of me and they said, this family needs you to go to this other city where this person who comes to church here, they're dying. They don't have much time to live. They want you to come and pray. I've got all my tile stuff out. I'm tiling. I've got the thin set out. I've got my knee pads on. I'm really dirty, all these things. And I got the, uh, the, the wet saw outside set up. And, and I got the call to go there. Question, do you think I, want, I felt like going? There's no way. I didn't feel like going. Did I go? Yes. Put everything away. Took off clothes, took a shower, got rest. Drove to the other city, 30-some miles away. Went to the hospital, and I prayed for that person. And I came back. It's happened so many times in my life. I say, Jim, you're a pastor. It's the life you chose. Mm. The Bible says, New Testament says, we're all ministers. We're all ministers. In case you forget that one, let me remind you, you're all ministers. You're all participants in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> it's a command. See, God didn't send Jesus to please me. God sent Jesus so I'd please God. It's just that simple about my life. <clears throat> they did this study, um, two sociologists, about people during Nazi Germany. One group was the rescuers and one was the bystanders. The rescuers were the ones who rescued Jewish people during that time. The bystanders didn't. Of the survey, there were 402 rescuers. There were 76 bystanders and they wanted to find out what was the difference between the two why did one group uh, this group rescue why did this group just sit back and watch and let it happen and do nothing about it and they said there were four key differences between the two groups but the one that stood out the most was the ones who were rescuers they had a strong spiritual life and presence in the home that they grew up in and the sociologist said what it turned out to be was the people that rescued and took the, took the risk to rescue these the Jewish people, they were Christians with a capital C. And I like that because Jesus doesn't really enjoy Christians with a small C, right? He wants to be Christians with a capital C. Okay. I've been gone through weeks, so I'm a movie guy, okay? <laughs> Couldn't wait to get back. So when you're home for, you know, all this time, um, 
you know, I study every morning, a couple, three hours. And, but after that, you're kind of like, you're getting bored, you know? And I don't know if you ever noticed how many channels you have on cable. And some of you, I know the question, but how many of those channels are just a waste of time? Anyone ever notice that? But have you, I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're stuck at home that much, how many movies are replayed repeatedly? I mean, you know, they had a couple of rocky marathon days and it's like, okay, but I can only do this one time. And The Godfather probably came on 10 times during that time and I, I can't keep watching that, Godfather 1 and 2. And, and Back to the Future was on a lot and, and Forrest Gump still on a lot. And, uh, but the one that came on also among other movies <laughs> is... Uh, the Green Mile. You guys ever watch The Green Mile? It's a great movie. It's got great act. Tom Hanks is one of the greatest actors. Now, there's, um, let, me, let me preface it this way. They arrest this man, they convict him, his name is John Coffey. This guy's a really good actor. He, he died about eight, nine years ago. And he'd always introduce himself as, you know, John Coffey. Sounds like the drink, only spelled different. John Coffey, J.C. I think the writer did these things on purpose. He's the Jesus Christ character in the story. The Green Mile is like, is, is solitary confinement where you're going to the electric chair. It's the last walk of your life. And John Coffey comes to the Green Mile. And Tom Hanks and the crew, they can tell this man is always in emotional pain. And he's able to do extraordinary healings. There's something unique about this guy. And he does a lot of good while he's in that cell in that Green Mile. But there's that one moment in time, John Coffey, the Jesus Christ character, who's going to go and he's going to be killed for a crime he did not commit, the Jesus Christ character. But one day he's sitting there in his cell and he's looking at Tom Hanks he goes, boss, give me your hand. And they're all, don't do it, don't, give me your hand, boss. And he takes his hand. And all of a sudden Tom Hanks like stiffens up. And now Tom Hanks is now seeing life through the eyes of John Coffey. And he sees what really happened to these little kids who were killed and who really killed them. It was somebody else in the very cells they were in there. John Coffey did not commit the crime. John Coffey tried to save those kids before it was too late. But it was too late. And Tom Hanks, he's feeling all the pain and all the emotion as his hands being held by John Coffey. And he's feeling everything, and he's seeing it through the eyes of John Coffey. And then he lets go of his hand. And John Coffey says this. He says, that's the way it is every day. That's the way it is every day. See, John Coffey can never escape the pain of humanity. But for a moment in time, because he held his hand because he touched him. Tom Hanks was able to see it and he was able to feel it. And it impacted him. 
We will never have a heart for the hurting individually until we consistently, daily, have contact with Jesus Christ. We will never, ever look at the pain around us unless we're always in contact with Jesus Christ. We will just grow numb. We'll be <coughs> like the disciples who next week are going to tell us, send the people away. But the moment you come into contact with Jesus and you stay consistent in it, in this word, spend a few moments in prayer. Repent of old sins and really touch the heart of God. Then you're going to begin to see and feel the way Jesus sees and feels. You're going to look at it through his eyes. You're going to look at it through his emotions. And it will forever radically change your life. You will never be the same. And a lot of things that you thought <laughs> were so important, that mattered so much, you realize that's not important. But people are important. People matter. And having a heart for those people. Saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am, send me. What do you want me to do? Here I am. Amen. Let's pray. I'm done. Lord, in the next season of New Beginnings, we have to make contact with you regularly if this heart's ever going to be softened up <laughs> to touch people around us, to meet needs to get that concern and compassion back. It can't just be a column in our life that we do here or there. It's a culture. It's a culture. And it begins by looking around. Seeing. Seeing the way Jesus sees. And then once we see it through his eyes, then we feel it. And once we feel it, we move on it. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit lives in us and it can change and soften our hearts to see the real reason why we are here. And we're here for others. The greatest among us is the servant, Jesus said. Is the servant. Thank you, Lord. Now, as we sit here today, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus... You've never become a follower of him, whether you're, you're watching online, you're going to watch it later, whenever it is, or here. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's the creator. All things were made by him, it says. And he created you. And because he created you, he knows your purpose, at least what your purpose should be. 
And he created you because he loved you. And he created you because Roman, Revelation 4.11 says, for his will, because he wanted you. You're not some random, evolving thing created by a mindless universe. There's a reason and a purpose of your life. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then today could be your day. I hope it is. Or maybe you backslid. Maybe today you're thinking, I don't have a heart for the hurting. Man, my heart's calloused. In fact, I, I don't like a lot of people. And maybe it's time to repent of that, huh? And love everybody. So maybe it's time to rededicate your life. <laughs> Let's get it right. So if you'd like to place faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, I'm going to simply say a prayer right now. Everybody here is going to say it out loud. Wherever you're at, you say it, you repeat it. But believe it and put your faith in Jesus. So here we go. Everybody here, say it out loud, especially those who want to put their faith in Jesus <coughs> or rededicate your life, either here or online. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would give your life for mine. Thank you for forgiving me. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins, transgressions. I invite you into my life to be the King and Savior and Lord of all that I am. Change my heart. Make it like yours. I thank you that I'm saved. Now, friends, let me pray. God, I, I pray for anyone who said that prayer <coughs> that you've now embarked or re-embarked on the greatest journey of life, that the creator of the universe is now your father in heaven, and you are his kid. And now you will seek to know that father, you will seek to understand him through Jesus Christ, his son. The spirit of God now lives in you, and that's the transforming agent along with the cross of Jesus Christ that's broken the power of sin. That's why you can walk in new life, because the past is broken, and the spirit of God in you now gives you newness of life. You're not the same person. You see, it's like when Jesus spit in the blind man's eyes, now you will interpret the data of life differently because you'll interpret it through God. And so we thank you, Jesus, for this day. All of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say amen and amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.